from Trimble Construction, you're listening to the Connected Construction Show, where we connect you to the contractors, owners, designers, engineers, and construction professionals who are finding better ways to work. And now, here's your host, Matt Sprague. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Connected Construction Show. As always, I'm your host, Matt Sprague. Uh, happy to have everybody back. Um, extremely happy and excited to have uh, my friend Tricia Stefanski from the Minnesota Department of Transportation joining us today. Tricia is an asset management engineer for the DOT. Tricia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So, um, diving right into it. Uh, we, it's it, anybody who listens, listens to the show, uh, knows we follow kind of like a formula here. We, it's a, it's a, this is the get to know you moment, uh, of the show. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, what you do at the Minnesota department of transportation. Um, but even better, like, how'd you get there? Um, well, first of all, I have to tell the audience that I do not have a Minnesota accent. So um, there sure might don't. be certain words. <laughs> <laughs> it's very obvious I do. Um, but I live in the Twin Cities, so the cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. We call the Twin Cities area. Um, I live there with my family. We have a couple of kiddos. Uh, we have a dog, a black lab. She's very sweet. And we have a corn snake. Um, and the corn snake is getting pretty big. So I was thinking at times when I do these things, I could just have the corn snake behind me, you know, it, and it would make things more interesting. Um, wrap it around. Just wrap it around. Just have it crawling all over. It's a very nice snake. It's a female, and my son wants to have babies with it. Uh, so we do enjoy, I think, the land of 10,000 lakes. Um, we have a lake just right outside my window. We do a lot of skating, and we do a lot of swimming and boating, there's the word, uh, in the summertime. And so I am a civil engineer by trade, uh, and I did. I grew up on a farm in central Minnesota, and I think that kind of contributed to me and my path, my career path. Um, and at MnDOT, I am the Asset Management Program Director, and I'm just getting used to that title um, because we had the previous uh, AMPO Director uh, retired. So I just have taken on that role, but I really like it. That's awesome. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, so take us a little bit back to the beginning. Um, how did you get started in asset management and in really like, how did you essentially, I'm, I'm assuming you kind of followed, followed your passions. Yeah, totally. And I just, again, think back to the farm life, which I did <clears> not <throat> like when I was living on the farm and my dad was like, come on, let's go pick rock. I mean, it's the hottest day of the summer. Let's go. Here's the wagon. I'm like, how do we pick rock? You throw rocks in a wagon. Um, but he taught me a lot, I think, about working hard, um, about math, uh, about land management, topography, those types of things. And he also was an organic farmer. So I think a lot about the environment and sort of how our decisions impact the environment. Um, and I also, I decided to be an engineer. I had a great math teacher in high school. And throughout my career, I have worked um, in all facets of public and private engineering. And so I usually like to say that, um, you know, just this broad range of, of background. So I actually worked for a city, a county. I worked in a consultant company. I had my own business for a while. 
Um, and now I'm at the state of Minnesota, and this is the best job that I've had so far, but gives me a really broad background of assets, uh, asset design, construction, all those things. And then in 2009, I started my career path at MnDOT, and I was hired on temporarily. Lucky they, they kept me. Didn't know for sure if they would, but I they did. And I was doing a sign inventory project at the time. And I did not realize how complicated signs were. Um, so, you know, anything from visual nighttime, uh, retroreflectivity to the kind of the complexities of different sign types and installation. And I was really, I really started to like it then. Um, in 2014, the the Obama legislation on MAP 21 came out and the asset management plans were required. Um, and so then in 2015, we actually, uh, my predecessor boss created our asset management office. Um, and we're in the planning division. We have nine staff and three of those are embedded IT, which have been, you know, really, I think, made us more successful. Um, and so, and my own passions though, like getting to my passions. So I was thinking about this a lot. I mean, you know, cause you just don't kind of live every day, do the things you do, but my, my passions are red wine and home improvement. Um, and they can't be at the same time. Like don't do that at the same time. <laughs> so keep those separate. <laughs> they could be in sequence though. In sequence, great in sequence. Um, but for real, data, I'm really data-driven, love data, love analytics, maps, GIS, um, business process improvements, and innovation. So those are my passions, and those have definitely kind of gotten me to where I am today. Okay. Um, I promised you I was going to go on tangents. So this is my <laughs> first tangent from our from our pre-show meeting to now. Okay. Um, so it, it dawned on me. So we have a wide base of listeners, right? So we're, we're not talking just to an asset management uh, crew of people. Right. Um, so I wanted to kind of maybe bubble it up a little bit real quick from a DOT's perspective. Um, just give us a little like asset management 101. What are the assets that you manage? Like specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and there was a, a, a term, a term that I remember when I first kind of started dabbling in this space, this one through like me a curveball, but what is furniture? <laughs> I was like, that, I've, when it came to departments Asset. of transportation and furniture, I was like, you, it was like y'all, y'all lost me. Asset furniture. Oh, that's funny. These buzzwords. Um, so yes, asset management, when anyone says to me, would you like to talk about asset management? I'm like, sure, sit down. Do you have an hour? Um, and my family still, my parents, I think still don't know what I do. Uh, what is asset management? So I think the best way to describe, I think from our agency perspective, what we do, we have 78 asset classes within MnDOT. We have actually identified those asset classes. Um, and it's not going to be like your computers, you know, it's infrastructure assets that you see on the side of the roadway, which some, I have heard that term, but that's kind of an old term, Matt. <laughs> Furniture. Just, maybe that's why it threw me. Cause I'm just like, yeah. uh, excuse me. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's kind of, I mean, it's just those infrastructures on the side of the roadway that you see. Um, and maybe it's like the, the DOT is a house and you have furniture in the house and you need to take care of your furniture. But um, so, yes, it it's really, really cool to see asset management is across kind of what, what I would consider the categories of asset management, which might help, um, is basically we do a lot of enterprise asset management, system development. We do a lot of the data analytics. So we're looking at budgeting. We're looking at life cycle planning. Um, we're looking at like how to utilize the data for better decision making, um, condition data, inventory data, inspection data. Uh, so, and then we're also doing, we have strategic program implement, implementation. So, and I'll talk more about that I think later, but, but asset management is really doing the right thing at the right time to extend the life of assets. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Um, so, so the, Putting us back on track here a little bit. <laughs> so in your day-to-day, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the asset management office uh, of the Department of Transportation in Minnesota, so what are some of the challenges that you're facing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, there uh, there's quite a few challenges. There's always resource challenges. Um, when I was in maintenance, well, I still spend a lot of time in maintenance. I used to say, okay, let's write on the board. You know, we don't have enough resources. Kind of cross that off. Um, because that's probably something we're always constrained with. Um, but I think, you know, just kind of thinking about this from maybe a higher level perspective, our infrastructure continues to age. Um, in Minnesota, we did have a bridge collapse situation. And I think having the bridge collapse made us, um, you know, we did some systematic changes, I would say, some some um, changes in, in general. And I think also nationally, you know, there was some more money that's been designated as well as uh, in the world of resiliency, sustainability, I see, you know, the IIJA funding. So there are resource options, but our aging infrastructure, um, American Civil Engineers, uh, ASCE, sorry, set, gave us a report card of D. I just looked it up again because I was hoping we'd get improvements, you know, American Society of Civil Engineers. So we're still at a D uh, dropping um, and just we have a lot of infrastructure and it's it's aging. And then, as I mentioned, uh, resiliency. So we have climate change happening, um, extreme weather events. We have warmer winters in Minnesota specifically, more ice storms, more droughts. We have trees like in, in downtown Minneapolis that are actually dying, some of our great parks. And then we'll have those floods, so drought, flood situation. So those, those are really challenging um, throughout the nation. And then data management. Um, big data, what data do we need, what data should we be using, the granularity of the data, the sharing of the data, and again, that system integration, just really making sure that we're sharing data across systems and being more, the most efficient we can. Um, and then the emerging technologies, um, just implementation. I think you don't ever have enough time really to be up on all the research, and I really like to be involved at a national level doing things like this, sharing, you know, communicating um, across DOTs as well as local level, uh, but then getting those new ideas, those big ideas, and then implementing them in the agency can really take time um, and patience. So just keeping up on those those innovations and emerging technologies. Within your your team, so how, how did you set the foundation for asset management? So what are, what are some of the ways that this is happening? Well, so I at least talk about it three times. 
<laughs> they say anyone that can, you know, get something implemented, you have to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. So I do think that communication is a big part of my job as yours, right? And just talking about asset management, understanding what it is, understanding how prevalent it is across the agency. Even asset management is prevalent in equity choices. So where do we put potholes? Where do we decide to upgrade, you know, a roadway system or add bike lanes? You know, it's really prevalent across all parts of the agency in construction, in design, you know, where, what kind of data do we need? How are we going to use that data? So I really think just the prevalence of it um, and setting up, I think, as our agency did is to look at strategy, people, processes, tools, um, how can we look at each of those categories and say, let's just keep moving that bar of asset management. So through our TAMP, which is again, I mentioned our asset management plan, there's requirements within that plan um, that we need inventory data, condition data, we need to look at our 10-year investments for maintenance and capital. We also want to set performance measures and targets. Maybe I'm talking about things that some of the folks listening don't know about, but I think those are, you know, in the world of asset management, those are specifically things you want to do to sort of set that foundation. And we have an asset management strategic implementation plan that we specifically called strategic implementation because we wanted it to be both looking ahead, kind of looking at all of our strategies across MnDOT as well as how can we implement those strategies. Um, and so doing that uh, and getting that data, so and also on the way engaging our stakeholders and understanding our stakeholder needs. Um, those stakeholders, again, it could be someone in the equity office, it could be someone in the bridge office, it could be somebody that's making programmatic decisions with culverts, but those stakeholders and what their needs are are very important um, and something that we need to, to understand more. We've also done a lot of metrics so I'm going to be speaking at a couple different conferences on some of our resiliency metrics, um, some of our maintenance performance measures. Uh, so how long does it take for us to fix um, traffic barrier in a certain roadway ADT um, and what we want to look at there and levels of service. So what does it cost and how can we improve a level of service and what would that mean for investment? Um, and then we've done a lot, Matt, in our um, enterprise asset management systems and tools. So we have a great enterprise asset management software that's integrated with like our financial um, information, our timesheets, our equipment, um, operations data, our snow and ice right now. I'm so excited. We're working on a project in which our, um, I call them automated vehicle information systems. They're getting the materials, they're getting the location of the snow plows, and that is creating, and again, we're just proof of concept here, but creating work orders within our enterprise asset management system. So we know where those plows are, we know the equipment that's being used, we know the cost, and it's very granular data. Um, and so we can use that to just make better decisions and, and look at our you know snow and ice costs and again, that level of service. And then I love maps, I love GIS. So making sure that system, you can use it for mapping, use it for reporting, and then make sure that you give people access to the data. I have, you, get, you got that, that answer just spun off so many Oh no. Tangents. So many tangents, Off but I'm, 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 I'm resisting the urge to go on on too many of them. So I'm, I'm going to hold off for, for, for a okay. minute. Okay, you can. Um, it's okay. It's all no, right. No, no, I love it. I mean, the uh, GIS, the 
uh, uh, all of the information that you have. And I also, I, this was something that dawned on me again. It was more for uh, providing context for the uh, the listeners who maybe aren't aren't used to this. We're talking about, you know, at first I asked like, what's what is an asset when it re- regards to Department of Transportation, but also, so you're you're mentioning some projects that seem small on a one-off scenario, but I think. Um, I think the, the context is to understand that it's about, you know, so if you're finding an efficiency on replacing a piece of furniture, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's the, it's the grand scale of the department of transportation. We're not talking about, uh, a singular, uh, school campus or, uh, a singular building or a single bridge. Right. It's talking about across the entire state. So the grants, the, the efficiencies that you find on a singular basis compound greatly and have a massive effect on your overall budget. Is that Absolutely. an accurate statement? Accurate. And you know what? It's so hard when you're like managing something at a network level, like you're saying, we have network level management. So where are we when we look at like state of good repair or our condition of one asset class? Now let's take that and let's look at every asset class across the agency, the funding that's distributed, and let's try to do trade-off decisions. You know, what's the best scenario to manage pavements from a life cycle perspective, but then what if we put a dollar, you know, take a dollar from pavements and put it into culverts? And what, how do those decisions impact sort of the, the condition of these assets and the investment overall and the budget? Yeah, and the science that's coming into it is awesome too, because it's the uh, get moving away from reactive measures to proactive measures. Yes. And I bet, and I'm assuming that, 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 that asset management um, tool that you're utilizing helps you leverage those type of things. Yes, absolutely. And people love dashboards. <laughs> so if you give them a good dashboard, they are all about it, especially interactive dashboards. Oh yeah. And more, <laughs> more, more colors and blinking lights, the better. If they can put, my kids always want to put like an emoji on me. So like we could put an emoji on Matt while you're doing this. Yeah. That, that would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before you mentioned uh, the goal of, of better understanding the needs of internal stakeholders. So I, I want to kind of dig deeper into that, into what that, what that really entails. Yeah. Excellent. So I was thinking about this one. I'm like, we always understand what their needs are, but we don't always listen. No, that's not true. Um, we tell them We tell them what their needs are. Yeah, we tell them what, what their <laughs> needs are. That doesn't work out there, just by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they do talk about informed consent, and there is some, you know, you can't please everyone all the time. But it definitely you want to be listening to those stakeholders. So, again, kind of getting back to what we talked about before, just the asset management key <laughs> experts, you know, the ones that need the data, that are looking to program the projects, um, and even our maintenance staff. So I, you know, when we think about the asset life cycle, so just talking about that for a minute. So the asset information model, a lot of people talk about BIM, building information modeling. Um, A lot of people are talking about 3D design, you know, really important that we're moving towards. And I think you've done some shows on this already, Matt. Um, So, but when you think about the life of the asset, kind of a little bit different perspective, you know, just a little bit different lens. The life of the asset is maybe 50 years, maybe signal systems 30 years. That asset life might be in design construction twice. It might be one to two years of design construction and the rest of it is in asset management. The rest of it is maintenance activities. The rest of it is looking at like optimizing preventive maintenance, um, doing inspections. And so it's really important to think about 
what is what are those folks looking at what do they need as well as again like i said on the programming side but so maintenance kind of end of the road users you know these asset management experts that are saying when we get an inspection result how do we use it what do we do um, and so one thing that we've done kind of to, to better understand the whole system and our stakeholders um, is to do an asset management strategic implementation plan i mentioned that before and what does that mean what did we do it's all out there I would like to just talk about our um, Minnesota TAM portal. So if you look up TAM, MnDOT, TAM portal, you'll be able to find a bunch of resources. It's kind of, we've been really transparent about this. Um, I'm gonna be videoing some people just like we're doing now about the benefits of asset management from their seat at MnDOT. We're gonna be putting some videos out there. Um, there's really cool one pager, pagers that basically say, like, why is asset management important to me in my chair, in my seat, and how can I kind of, um, you know, move the bar again in asset management? So we had this action data action plan. We identified those 78 asset classes um, and looking at the agency needs, looking at it from a perspective of what is the value of each of these asset classes and the data that we get because it's really labor intensive to keep all this data up to date um, keep the system up to date and use it you want to use the data but really how can we do that in a more efficient way so we looked at like what is our desired approach for these assets what are some things we can do what are some things we we cannot do and literally like put that in front of the district said you know what your um, if you're thinking about like entrance culverts on like local driveways we're not going to inventory those it would take so much time and energy to do that that is something we're going to say we're not going to do um, we looked at the asset value kind of like what is the value of the asset what are some of the mandates the regulation the risk and we actually assigned sort of a how we're going to manage the asset and what data does that mean and again down to like like i'm saying with entrance culverts we decided it's a minimum maintenance asset we're not going to collect data on it we're not going to inventory it um, we are going to record maintenance work so if we do maintenance work we'll record it but we're going to say no we can't do that and so really that that's kind of a piece of of the question on the agency needs and what the agency can and can't do and we've talked about right sizing. So not like downsizing, but saying we really need to say what's important, what are the priorities, what can we get done? And I know we've done this for years and years, um, but this is a great way to do it, I think, within the realm of asset management. Um, and yeah, I think just, again, just really bringing those stakeholders in, you know, and understanding the agency value and then the stakeholder value, how they use the data um, the data consumers, the reporting, the needs, and and we documented this and and kind of have outcomes, clear uh, recommended outcomes for our senior leadership. So you mentioned, um, obviously, we just talked a lot about different stakeholders, and so I'm curious on the relationship uh, between asset management and capital planning. Um, mm -hmm. So capital planning is especially when we're talking about new construction like you said it's only a couple years out of an entire life cycle of that asset but i'm more curious on so we we, we shift all the way to the end of an asset so in terms of replacement and whatnot how important is the asset management um data and information and lessons learned and and those things to to influencing the capital planning team i mean i think it's all it, that's what it should be used for as well so we know that we have 
performance targets to meet, like on our NHS roadways. We know for pavement and bridge, we have to meet certain targets. So we're always looking to do that. We're always saying, how can we do that? And if you look at our what they call the stip and chip, you know, our programmed projects, we have our like six year, we have our 10 year programmed projects. And how are you doing project selection? How are you um, taking the asset data, the condition data, the timing of these different, you know, asset needs, and then turning those into projects. So we have a MNCHIP plan, which, so the TAMP is a 10 year plan, capital um, investment needs, maintenance investment needs for 10 years. That is all based on asset management data, like for sure. Then you go into um, our MNCHIP, which is our 20 year capital only. Um, and that plan as well, we've done as much as we can to really incorporate the models, the, you know, running basically the management systems, the software to say, here's the outcome, here's what we need under these different scenarios. Um, and so in our midship, we look at these scenarios and say, okay, this is one, two, three, four, you know, maybe we're doing the same thing. Maybe we're, you know, increasing um, our performance target. We're, you know, making some changes. What are those investment levels? And it's all really using asset management data, deterioration models, uh, maintenance management, or I should say bridge management, whatever system that you have. So it totally informs the capital um, decision-making, as well as I think the programmatic. I would like to see more though, Matt, like in a line sort of drawn, I say a straight line <laughs> between um, what we've done in the TAMP and what our asset management strategies are and what how we're specifically programming projects. Uh, but the problem is there's more to to, to life than just asset management. I hate to say that. I said that. Um, but, but you know, it's all about trade-off decisions. So there's more going on there. You know, there's more to take into account, like safety, again, equity, sustainability, things that partially are asset management and partially are not. So really looking at the system as a whole. So I've, I've unintentionally uh, left a segue here into the next topic. So we're, so, you know, you'd like to see this more um, the uh, maybe not obvious uh, challenge that we have is our data silos. So you right. have asset management data silos, capital improvement data silos. Uh, you can you can keep you can go on and on and on and on. So what methods and technologies are you using to help mitigate some of those data silos for for asset management? Yeah, and one thing is just being here today, really saying the importance of asset management, the data. We want to provide data. We want to provide data for design, for surveying. We want to provide, we probably want to more get data from construction. We want to know the costs. We want to know that the asset, like when does it go live on the roadway? When is the furniture able to be sat in? Um, we're bringing <laughs> or, it back. We're I know, I have to. It's back. just so, this is it. Um, so those are some things in the construction realm, I would say. And then construction, uh, kind of processes, material testing even, it would be great to take the material testing data, to take the pavement, you know, let's say we're taking cores, we're doing sampling, we know the subgrade, we're doing thermo, like MnDOT's done a lot of like thermo profiling, and we can take that data and we can bring that into the asset management system, we can hold that data, so that if we do have any data quality issues that we know they're there. So one big piece of this, I think, is, is communication and talking about the importance and what our needs are, I guess, from an asset management perspective, as well as um, really integrating, again, the asset management software. So providing data to design, providing data to construction, um, or sorry, to surveying, I would say more or less, and like saving them time 
rather than going out, spending more time in the field, spending more time, you know, doing these designs. We, we've gotten great data from LIDAR, from innovative LIDAR remote sensing, point cloud data that our surveyors just, just love. I mean, they just love. And our traffic barrier data, they did some, you know, data quality assurance and found it's really accurate. And it can save a ton of time in the field. And it's dangerous being on the roads, getting even more dangerous all the time. Um, so that's one thing, just, you know, using that data, integrating it all the way through the life cycle. Um, after the project is complete, we get that data back. We connect the dots, Matt, connected. Um, and then the other big thing is, is show me the data, like use the data. So we're really trying to increase the data quality in our data and then use it for like maintenance planning, maintenance accomplishments. As I mentioned before, like better preventive maintenance. Should we be looking at our signal systems every year, every two years? You know, what should our inspection uh, timelines be and and all of that data kind of being in you know in, in our in enterprise asset management software and then we've also done a lot of data analytics for I don't know if you've heard this before but we get reimbursed um, uh, so if you hit like a sign don't drive away <laughs> if you get a hit a sign you know and you have insurance right we try to get reimbursed for fixing that sign and so we've done a lot on what we call the damage restitution front and that also has kept our data pretty accurate but in minnesota we have obviously a lot of people hitting furniture um, and we need to track the costs of that you know repair um, and then again i mentioned like scoping and programming just really providing the data looking at in those data consumers and how we can better do that. I had a tangent, but I'm pulling it back. <laughs> um, we're, we're running out of time. So oh, I need no. to, what? yeah, can you, can you believe it? Um, I so um, we wanted to hit upon um, resilience and sustainability. So you, you, you hit it, you talked about it um, briefly before. Um, so, but, but so when you think about resilience and sustainability, how does that fit in uh, into with your, your with your asset management program today, yeah. and even what you see down the road? Yeah, and you know how are we going to do things differently? Because these challenges are there; they're here already. Um, here from other states like Florida and what they've gone through. So in Minnesota. It's specifically kind of about our winters. They're warming 13 times faster than our summers. So a lot more ice. And as I mentioned before, a lot more drought flood conditions. So I think we're gonna really have to say, and in asset management, management specifically, it's like a Venn diagram. So if you look at bridges, culverts, pavement, it's imp impacting those assets, right? It's changing like some of our strategies that we're doing. So what we're trying to do, um, and we do have this IJA funding in Minnesota, which will be roughly 23 million a year. We're partnering with our local um, folks to really look at that funding scenario and we're trying to plan. So any good strategy, any good implementation takes takes a good plan. And so right now we're doing resiliency improvement planning, which says what are those assets that are most impacted in Minnesota? What are the risks, the vulnerabilities, and then how, what is our current state of practice and how can we like mitigate or make some changes? So really working through that process right now and then looking at when we have step chip ready projects, you know, what are some pieces that maybe we weren't gonna do and we might decide to upgrade and use some of this funding. I think we're at the early stages of this um, and other states that I've heard from and seen have had a lot more like 
you know, they, they've seen these extreme weather events and they've been in it. So I think learning from each other to what we can do. Um, but I heard people are moving to Duluth. They like Duluth, Minnesota. <laughs> so <laughs> have to be thought? ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They must be craving. Well, maybe they've heard it's warming up. So yeah. why the heck not? Yep. There you go. <laughs> It's the Mediterranean climate that's that's rolling in. All right. They like the water. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. So here's our last question. Question I ask uh, every every one of our guests. So uh, it's on the assumption that you have your own personal motto. <laughs> that's a big leap to think that everybody or uh, that that everybody has their own personal motto. So if you don't have one, that's okay. What is a motto that you've heard that is a good like life lesson to live by? Absolutely. Um, I think for me, it's don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Definitely, we want to keep taking two steps forward, one step back. Like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. We all do. And if you do make a mistake, I mean, my five-year-old and eight-year-old will tell me, but I will admit, yes, you know, mom made a mistake. And, and we all just need to, you know, it's just, we can't be perfect. I mean, Matt, you and I are really close. So it's just really, I mean, it's hard. We can't, we can't let people live up to those standards. I mean, come on. Yeah. But I think that would be it, right? Don't be afraid to make a mistake I, and just keep I really forward. like that because I find um, in several organizations that I've been a part of, you know, you're trying to design a, a solution to a problem. And sometimes you get into this, like, like, and especially when it comes into group collaboration, that you end up taking too long trying to find the most optimal, greatest solution ever. Right. Yeah. And by the way, the time that you're taken to try to figure it out, things have gotten worse. Like, yes, yeah. There are, I believe, there are multiple solutions to every problem. All are, none of them are going to be perfect. Absolutely. Pick one and go. Right. And then, yes. and then iterate on it and make it and start to make it as perfect as possible. So thank, that's a per, I love that. Totally I love agree. That thank you. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation, a way too quick conversation, but fantastic nonetheless. Thanks yes. for joining us. Thank you so much, Matt. It was really fun. And everybody out there listening in, watching us on YouTube or wherever it is that you, you catch us. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay connected. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Connected Construction Show. For more information, visit us at connectedconstructionshow.com.